But we're in a very interesting place in Scripture today. If you would, turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. Uh, last week, for those of you that are visiting, thank you, by the way, so much for coming and being a part of our church service. We are honored that you are here with us. Um, last week, we, we took a look at, at this 12th chapter, and we looked from verses 9 to 13. <clears throat> and we saw that Paul was explaining to us as a body of believers how we are to act, what our conduct ought to be inside the four walls of the church. We came to the conclusion that Paul pretty much mentioned two things that were of utmost importance. Number one, he says that we should have love for one another. By that love, it's talking about agape love. It's love that is, it goes beyond ourselves to a godly type of love. Jesus Christ, when he was with his disciples in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, he said to them, he says, a new commandment I will give to you. That commandment has been passed on to us as well. He says, here's the commandment, that you should have love for one another. Then he says, even as I have loved you, so you should have love for one another. He goes on to say in the next verse, by this, by the way you love one another, all people will know that you are my disciples. You are followers of me. And so Paul is saying to us, first and foremost, within the four walls of the church, we should have love for one another. And, and by that, people who come and visit us, people who hear about the Rock Community Church, will know that there is something special about these people. They follow Jesus Christ by their act of love for one another. On top of that, Paul said, within the four walls of a church, we should have honor for each other. In other words, as I explained last week, no position in the church, whether it be the pastor or the person parking the cars or, or helping park the cars or working in the kitchen or in the tech booth or wherever we may serve the Lord, he says nobody is more special than each other. We are to honor one another. And so he says, um, ooh, let me remember, remind myself. I've used this message, this particular place in Scripture in every wedding that I've ever done, it's in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Paul says, Do nothing from selfishness, nor empty conceit, but with humility of mind, here's the key, let each of us regard one another as more important than we do our own selves. Want to have a great marriage? Treat your wife, treat your husband as more important than you do your own self. He goes on to say in the fourth verse, Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but look out for, care for the interests of one another. And so, in verses 9 through 13, Paul taught us how we are to act within the four walls of a church. Now he's going to step us outside of the church. He's going to take us to how we react and treat everybody that we come in contact with whether they be a believer or a non-believer. And that is in verses 14 to the end of this chapter. We are now to act outside the four walls with a very specific purpose in mind. Now I want you to know that I believe this is a very difficult process to learn within your own life because it, it starts off with a very difficult task. Read with me in chapter 12, verses 14 to 21. Watch how Paul begins. He says, bless those who persecute you. Wow. 
Bless those who persecute you. Bless and curse not. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Verse 16, be of the same mind towards one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals upon his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but rather overcome evil with good. It's a great place in Scripture. It is not for the weak at heart, though. This is a place in Scripture that will stretch you, that will move you out of the place of complacency. It will move you away from that, um, that area in your life where you go back to revert to your old actions, the way you maybe used to be. And Paul is saying here is a step forward. This is how you are to act and react with those people outside, not only inside, but outside of the four walls of the church. Now I'm going to share with you a very personal experience that I had that, that I can assure you that if you are willing to go through the process, and for some of us it will be more difficult than others, but if you're willing to go through the process, I am here as a testimony before our Lord that you can make it through. And the, the other side is a, such a peaceful, peaceful process if you can go through this one place in Scripture, verse 14. But let's pray first. Father, would you please honor us by opening up our eyes so that we might behold wonderful things that comes from your law that your word would minister to our very heart of hearts, that you would, if need be, convict us. But most of all, Father, would you comfort us. I pray that you would take me and move me aside, that that I would not be um, a hindrance to what you want to say, because this is some, Father, as you well know, difficult things for some of us. To, to bless those who have persecuted us, that's a difficult step, Father, for some of us. And so I pray that you would teach us, that you would guide us, that, that I would not get in the way of anything that you want to say to any one of us. And so, Lord, I pray your blessings, blessings upon each of us. Um, may this day be a very special day for us all, I pray in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. Um, <clears throat> very interestingly, two services I've already had. We've had one last night at 5, and we had this one, one this morning at 9. And both services, someone came to me. And said, uh, boy, that really uh, that got me where I live. I, I think I'm going to have to change my attitude. Uh, you have really convicted me. And I said, no, I have not. I'm not here to convict you. I think if you feel conviction, that is from the Lord. And I, I would pray you to really listen to him. And so if, you're, if something happens to you during this service that you want to come up to me and say so, you may for sure. I'd be honored. But I want you to know, this is not my thoughts. These are my lifestyle, but these are our Lord's words. And so he begins by saying, we need to go against our old nature. 
he begins by saying, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and curse not. It goes against our very nature. I mean, not to persecute those who have persecuted us, but rather to bless them and curse them not. If there's any dimension in your life, in my life as a Christian, that takes us back to our old nature, our old fallen nature, it is in respect to how we deal with our enemies, to those who have deeply hurt us. To say something good about someone who has persecuted you takes as much grace and virtue that you might ever have to muster up. Because our old tendency, our old human nature is to get even. Now I want to pause here for a moment. I want to get real personal for you. This is, you will never know who, and it's, it's, it happened so long ago it's irrelevant. Uh, but there was someone that hurt hurt myself, and more importantly, hurt my wife very, very deeply. That ired up my old nature. My old nature was to confront and to latch out. But the Bible taught me, no, I'm to bless the person who has persecuted me. Well, I found that very difficult to do. In fact, I asked the Lord him. Would you please get this person? <laughs> would you get him? And I, I would rather you tortured him and, and killed him. Just kill him. And, and if you don't mind, let me be there when it happens. I'd like to watch. And so I was going through a very difficult time with this person. And those, as, as my life is, I have certain things that remind me of certain things. Like on my computer, when I'm doing my message, and I bold something, like I make a word bold, I think about you. I think about the church. I want us to be bold. I think about you. I want us to love the Lord. I I pray for you. Maybe not you specifically, but I pray for our our church. And so I have certain triggers in my mind, in my car, that remind me of certain things, that I am to be more the man of God. You know, well, uh, uh, Doc and his wife gave me this beautiful watch. Uh, I have a watch that beeps. And I, my watch beeps for a specific reason, not to tell me what time it is. I have trained myself when my watch beeps to remind me how am I walking with the Lord at that moment. And so it's one of my triggers. So with that in mind, when I used to drive home, every time I came on this one road and, did the, and, and passed this one place, that person's, my, first, that person's uh, face and memory would come to me. And I would just then and there have to deal with it. And I wanted him to be, I just wanted something bad to happen to him. And so I would say to the Lord, Lord, bless him. And I'd, I'd, I, would, and I would tell the Lord right up, you know I'm lying through my teeth. You know I'm lying. I do not want you to bless him. But I pray, Father, that you would bless him. And I just pray that you would give him that honor. And I hated that prayer. I hated every bit about it. It was driving me insane because every day I drove home, I would be reminded of this guy, and the Lord would say, are you going to pray for him or not? And I got to a place where I wanted to go home the long way. I would go home instead of going down that road. And as soon as I started to go the long way, I, knew, I said to myself, I know, you know, you're not tricking me. I know what you're doing. Are you going to pray for him or not? Two plus years. Two plus years, I prayed that pray, prayer almost every day I drove that drive. I thought I was going insane. 
I hated this person. I didn't want him to be blessed. I didn't like anything about him. And two plus years in, I was driving home, and I didn't think about him. And I was able to say, Lord, bless him, and I meant it. And it was like a breakthrough in my life, in my walk with Jesus Christ. I believe I went through that whole exercise to be able to deal with anything and all the things that have happened to me since. And the Lord took me through that process that I'm telling you was not easy. I was at least faithful and I told the Lord the truth. I asked him to bless him, but for the most part, I, I told the Lord, you know I'm lying. I really don't want you to, but I am being obedient. And now this day, I pray that God will bless that person. I pray that God will make him content, that he will have a wonderful, wonderful life. It is a process worth going through, folks. It's just difficult to do it. Hey, would you do me a favor? Back there, I left that water um, on the thing. Um, it has my initials on it. I brought it up, didn't I? Uh, never mind. I'm just 75. <laughs> Thanks, David. This is it. This is the very one I was talking about. <laughs> had my initials on. At least I knew it had my initials on. Now, they won't let me forget that back there forever. And so the process, in other words, it's the that process of going through that is, 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 as I promise you, it'll make you feel as if you're going insane, but I promise you it works because I am a living testimony that it works. So Paul says that we are to go against our nature. It, he also says in verse 14, the word to curse another is to wish that God would eternally send that person to hell. Now, for any of us, to wish the damnation upon anybody's soul is, is unthinkable. It goes against the very grace of God. He died for this world. And because of that, who are you and I to desire for anyone to be damned forever when you and I, by the grace of God, have escaped hell itself because of His love for us? We who are sinners at best, we have been saved. We certainly do not have the right to pray that anyone else would be damned. We need to be careful, by the way, of our attitude and especially our words we know from Scripture that we are taught in the book of James that the tongue is a very deceitful thing. In fact, James tells us in James chapter 3, verse 5, listen to what he says in verses 5 and 6 about our tongue. He says, The tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. He says, See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. Note verse 6. He says, and the tongue is a fire. It is the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set amongst our members as that which defiles the entire body. Paul is essentially paraphrasing our Lord's word 
when he says in Luke chapter 6, verse 27 through 30, I say to you who hear me, Jesus says, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat or persecute you. Whoever hits you on the cheek, he says, offer him the other as well. Whoever takes away your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them either. To everyone who asks of you, whoever takes away that is yours, do not demand it back. He's talking about going the extra mile. And Jesus Christ certainly is our example. When he was nailed to the cross in this unimaginable state of, of, of pain and, and grief, he uttered these words in, in Luke chapter 23, verse 34. He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. You, know, you say, well, that's Jesus. Of course he would do that. I mean, he's the Son of God. But Stephen... Stephen, when he was laying beneath the stones that was crushing the life out of him, echoed the words of our Savior. He said in Acts chapter 7, verse 60, Lord, do not hold this sin against those people who are hurling these stones at me. It's possible. Peter tells us in 1 Peter, speaking to you and me as believers, he says, you have been called for this purpose. What purpose? What purpose has God called you and me? And in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22, verse 21, he says, Since Christ also suffered for you, he left you an example to follow in his steps. He who committed no sin, talking of Jesus, nor was there any deceit found in his mouth, while he was being reviled, did not revile in return. While he was suffering, he uttered no threats. He kept entrusting himself to God who judges rightly. You and I have been called for that purpose, folks. This is grown-up Christianity. This is not something that, oh, I think I'll do this. This is something that takes, it takes time. It takes a desire to walk like Jesus Christ. I will tell you at the end of this message why this is so important for you and me. But let's go on through it. In verse 15, on the other hand, we are told to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. At first thought, this seems like it would be a very easy task to follow. But when or if another person's blessings or their happiness comes at our expense, then our flesh does not lead us to rejoice. It really tempts us to be resentful. And so Paul said the same words in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 26. He says, if one member suffers, we all suffer with that one member. But if that one member is honored, all of us rejoice with them. That's our attitude. That's the way we ought to act within the church and outside of the church, with people we come in contact with. Now, verses 16, 17, and 18 is so much for you and me to grasp. If you wish to walk out of this building this morning a better person, then take to heart these three verses. Listen to them closely, please. Verse 16. Be of the same mind towards one another. In other words, have the mind of Christ. 
Therefore, he says, do not be haughty in mind. Associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. In other words, let us regard one another as more important than we do our own selves. Never, verse 17, pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. All men is key there. It means the world as it watches us react to how we react to situations that come into our lives. Verse 18, if possible, so far as it depends upon you, be at peace with all men. Let's take a look at each verse individually. Verse 16, be of the same mind towards one another. Don't be haughty in spirit. Associate with the lowly. Don't be wise in your own estimation. James chapter 2, great example, verses 1 through 4 and verse 9. We are taught this wonderful lesson by James. Listen to what he says. My brethren, talking to Christians, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. In other words, basically, we are all equal. All of us are equal together. Then he says, verse 2, if a person comes into your assembly and he has a gold ring and dresses in fine clothes and also along with him comes a poor man in dirty clothes and you pay special attention to the one who is wearing the fine clothes and you say, sit here in this good place. But to the other one, the poor man, you say, stand over there or sit at my footstool. He says, you have made a distinction among yourselves. You have become judges with evil motives. Verse 9 says, if you show partiality, you are committing sin. It's a big deal with our Lord. Paul taught us in Romans chapter 2, verse 11, that there is no partiality with God, and consequently there should be no partiality with us. I am reminded by a true story that I know of firsthand. I at first heard it secondhand, and then I got to meet the man who was the, the pastor of the church that handled this. It was Pastor Chuck Smith, who I considered one of the heroes of our faith in this age in which we live. He has is, he is passed on now and gone to be with the Lord. But when he first started this church in Costa Mesa, they had this green shag rug back in the 70s, you know, back when the hippies were, were pretty uh, hardcore. In fact, one of the members of, the, of our church, Bruce Cook, used to go there in the 70s. He said, this is a true story. So I, I was there. I witnessed it. And kids were hearing about hippies. Hippies were, for those of you too young, were, they had long hair and, had, you know, just, you know, they just were kind of, how, how to explain it? They, they were rebels. Yeah, that's kind of good. They were kind of rebels. And they, the, the word about Chuck Smith and the word about the church, Calvary Church in Costa Mesa, was spreading like wildfire there on the beach city. And they started coming to this church. And they would come in with their sandals or their bare feet and their long hair, and they would walk right down the middle of the aisle, and they would sit on the floor right in front of Chuck. Chuck told me that's true. He says, I used to love it. He says, they would sit right in front of me. And he says, we'd teach them. And he said, we had some of our elders that were upset that they were, they were making the carpet dirty. This green shag rug. Who has shag rugs anymore? They had this green shag rug. And Chuck Smith went to the elders and said, before we ask these kids to leave, we're going to tear out this rug. They're not going. 
I'm staying, they're staying. It's such a beautiful story of how Chuck just just embraced these young people. And out of that group of people came Raul Reeves, um, Greg Laurie, uh, Steve Mays, uh, just a number. The guy came up, Bruce Cook came and said, and Bruce Cook, <laughs> he came out from that. It was just a great movement. There's another story that does not, I don't think, go with the, the thing about Chuck, but I don't even know that it's true, but I love it. It's one of my favorite stories. It's about these these kids that came to church, much like the hippies did in, in the day of, of Chuck Smith's church, and they sat down right in front of the pastor, didn't have shoes on or anything. And, and one day, one of the older gentlemen who was an usher and an elder in a church got up and started walking towards him. And the people in the congregation were saying, okay, now they're going to get it. He's going to kick them right out of here, just like they should be out. And when he got to them, he reached down, took off his shoes, I always get the story gets me every time and sat with them. That's the way we are to be. Let me tell you, the reason I think that touches me so for a man, an old man to sit down like that, it's hard. <laughs> it hurts. But I love that story. I love the fact that the church embraces everyone. We're not to associate with those who are who we think can benefit us because of of who they may be. Paul taught us there's no partiality with God that shouldn't be with us as well. There's no place in church for an elite group. There's no place in church for a special group. That's why I try to teach here as best I know how that the senior pastor of this church is no better than anyone else or no less than anyone else. We're all equal before the Lord in all of what we do. In fact, Jesus went on to say to the one who had invited him in Luke chapter 14. He says, when you give a luncheon or you give a dinner, do not just invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors. Otherwise, they'll invite you in return. That'll be your payment. Rather, he says, when you give a reception, invite the poor, invite the crippled, the lame, the blind. And he says, you will be blessed goes on to tell us who will bless us. Since they do, have, they do not have the means to repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. In other words, God himself will bless and repay. Now, of course, Jesus was not speaking about the act itself. There's, there's nothing wrong or, or sinful or, or unspiritual to invite family, friends, wealthy or influential to a meal at your home. The wrong comes when we invite anyone for a self-serving purpose and ignore those who have no means to repay us. Verse 17 of chapter 12, first part of it, we are never to pay back evil for evil to anyone. You might say the Bible teaches, though, there is an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. That's in Exodus chapter 21. That's true. But that's a, that's a law that pertains to civil justice, to the courts. It's not for personal revenge. In other words, it really was given to prevent the punishment of, of anyone exceeding the severity of their offense. In other words, someone guilty of hurting your arm, you do not punish them by cutting off their arm. You have the right to care for one another, to be equal with one another. 
And so it says in verse 17, the last part, so that you will be respected by what is right in the sight of all men. That word in all men means that we will act as a body of believers, as someone who believes and trusts in Jesus Christ. We will act with integrity. We will allow our honesty to be a model within the world, the non-believing world, the all men who watch us. And trust me, non-believers watch us very closely, more closely than perhaps you even realize. Now, I found verse 18 to be conditional. It depends upon the other person who might have become the enemy. But verse 18 says, if it's possible, if it is possible, as far as it depends upon you, be at peace with all men. By definition, a peaceful relationship cannot be one-sided. Our responsibility as believers is to make sure that our side of the relationship is right, that our inner desire is genuine to be at peace with all people, even the meanest, even the most undeserving. Now, short of compromising the Word of God, though, we should be willing to go to great lengths to build peaceful bridges to those who perhaps hate us or wish to do us harm. We must forsake any grudge, any bitterness, and fully forgive from the heart to all who might have harmed us if they stand in the truth. Then we can seek reconciliation. If they will not stand in the truth, then of course we forgive. But to be reconciled, that takes their doing. So if possible, as far as it depends upon us, let not us be in sin. Let there not be anything that we have done that might cause the friction. But as far as it depends on us, be at peace with all men. Forgive as best we can. Now, verses 19 to 21 Just restate what Paul has already said. Verse 19, never take your own revenge, beloved. Leave room for the wrath of God, he says, because it is written, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. But, he says in verse 20, if your enemy is hungry, then feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In so doing, you will heap burning coals upon his head. Now, that's we need to understand what that means, and I'll explain it in a second. So therefore, he says in verse 21, do not be overcome by evil. Rather, overcome evil with good. If a wrong has been done to you or me, no matter how serious, no matter how harmful it may be, you and I are not qualified, nor do we have a right to render punishment for that offense. That belongs to God. We are to leave that, as it says in the Mosaic Law, and Paul issues it here as well. It is, it is written, Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. In God's perfect timing, His wrath will come upon and His just retribution awaits the person who is not willing to forgive. Paul reminds us of this truth in Colossians 3.6. He says, Because of these things, because of people who would not repent, the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. Not returning evil for evil does not fulfill our responsibility, though. To withhold vengeance is one thing. It requires us doing 
nothing. But to actually return good for evil, that's quite another thing. And so Paul says, quoting us out of Proverbs, the 25th chapter, 21st, 22nd, 23rd verse, he says, no, 21st, 22nd, not the 23rd. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In so doing, you're going to heap burning coals upon his head. That phrase, heap burning coals upon someone's head, is, refers to an ancient Egyptian custom. And, and they understood what was written at that time. When a person in the Egypt culture demonstrated a public con- contrition, they wanted to make things right, they would carry on their head a pan of burning coals to represent the pain, the burning pain of their shame and their guilt of what they did to the other person. The point here is that you and I are to love our enemy and genuinely seek to meet their needs. And in so doing, we will shame them for their hatred. Verse 21. If you're going to learn anything today, please consider verse 21. It is very important. It says in verse 21, the first part, do not be overcome by evil. That, must, that means we must not allow the evil that has been done to us overcome or overwhelm us. When I was driving home, the first story that I told you about the person that, that hurt me, that I asked God to bless, and I didn't mean it. And when I would go home, everything about him tied my stomach into a knot. I was, who was I hurting when I was, when I was upset by him? He didn't care. He didn't care that I was hurt. I was killing myself. That, that pain, that vengeance that I had for him was just driving me crazy. It wasn't hurting him a lick. And so Paul, really our Lord in his wisdom, says we must not allow ourselves to be overcome by our evil response. And I'm telling you, It might take you time. It took me over two years. But I'm telling you, it is so worth it. I have no twinge in my tummy anymore concerning that person whatsoever. As a matter of fact, I hope and pray they are blessed. It has set me free. And so what the Bible says is do not be overcome by evil, but rather overcome evil by doing good. By doing what is right. You see, our own evil, hurtful response will eventually become our own downfall. It will be more detrimental to you or to me and our own health than it would be in harming the other person. Now let that be done by the Lord. If in fact He wants that it done, we might not really understand all the facts. And so as possible for you, be at peace with yourself. That's what I believe Paul leaves us this morning. Be at peace with yourself. As far as it depends on you, overcome any evil thoughts that you might have by doing what is good or right. It'll set you free. I am a testimony to that. So, I finished early. I must be excited about going to see the game. I'm, I'm really not, but I'm really early. Wow, this is cool. Don't rush upstairs because you'll probably disrupt what's happening with your kids. 
But um, I'm good 10 minutes early. Never let it be said that I preached over time, all the time. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you so much. It's a difficult place, Father. Uh, <clears throat> it, it is difficult for us, Father, to, to bless those who have persecuted us. I understand what you've done from the cross. I, uh, I find it hard to comprehend a man like Stephen. God bless him that he would be able to utter the words of those who were actually throwing stones at him. Uh, Father, forgive them for what they do. But Father, when it comes to a place like that, when we can honestly and truthfully come to a place where we're at peace with all people, uh, Father, there is a, a great bit of health that will come our way. And so, Lord, I pray your blessings upon everyone here. It, it is just my joy be a part of this. I love these people more than more than I'll ever be able to put into words. I wonder what it'll be like in heaven when we're all together. I, I, I kind of look forward to that. So Lord, watch over us, please. Take us to wherever you might take us today. I pray that you will bless us. Bless us richly. Um, thank you, Father. In Jesus' precious name, thank you so much. Amen.